0: This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Welcome back. Welcome back to Wharton Moneyball. Two hours of sports analytics live every Wednesday morning, 8 to 10 Eastern. Cade Massey hosting this morning with Adi and Shane. Our fourth collaborator, Eric Bradlow, is out and about this morning doing Eric Bradlow things. He'll be back. Some combination of us are here every Wednesday morning talking sports analytics. You can join the conversation, one wharton That's 1-844-942-7866. Give us a shout. Producer, boss, man, Matty Dats standing by for your phone call. Love to hear from you. You can also email us. Matt will take that email live, real-time. Not a bad way to reach us during the show. Businessradio at SiriusXM.com. Businessradio at SiriusXM.com. You can tweet at us or follow us on Twitter. At WMoneyball is the handle up there. At WMoneyball. Not a bad way to stay in touch with the world of sports analytics. We are rolling into the second quarter of the show. We're going to be going for the next hour and a half. In the next half hour... We've got Glenn Davis. Glenn is a play-by-play announcer for Fox Sports. He's covering this year's World Cup. He's covered the last four, I think. He's been calling games for some time now. Former professional soccer player, lives in Houston, Texas, and one of the experts out there in soccer. Glenn, welcome to the show.
1: Good morning. Thank you very much for having me on, Cade Shane Adi. I appreciate it. Uh, World Cup's off to a, a, a good start already this morning.
0: Well, we saw that. We we got going at eight o'clock, same as uh, as Portugal. Ronaldo didn't didn't take much time to get another goal on the board, right?
1: Yeah, he scored right away. He's now got four in the tournament, so uh, he's the early leader to uh, win the golden boot.
0: The guy's ridiculous. We were just talking about we, we we're not so expert to know the age differences, and we would have thought that Messi was older than Ronaldo. How do you how do you compare the play of those two guys these days?
1: Well, I mean, everybody compares their play, right? I mean, we should all be so lucky to have. Been been around and alive in, in an era where these two guys are, are constantly raising the bar higher for right. each other, and right. it's pretty interesting because they compete in Spain against each other with, with two of the biggest clubs in the world, as we know, right. in Real Madrid and Barcelona. Um, and you know, once once the temperature gets taken in a World Cup, and one guy is scoring goals uh, in Ronaldo, and the other Messi is looking like a guy who's carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders for mm-hmm. Argentina, mm-hmm. Uh, the inevitable comparisons come out. But we've seen that throughout the history in sports. You had it in basketball with Magic Johnson and uh, Larry Bird, uh, you know, you know, and, and, and these are the two guys in the world of soccer that just continually set the bar higher and higher, not only for each other, but but for the game. Here's Ronaldo just laid on a beautiful pass here on television right
0: now. Well, you know, we were we, we had his Champions League bicycle kick. We, we were ooing and in studio over that. It does, you know, only six weeks ago or so, eight weeks ago, the guy does some absolutely amazing things. Tell us, you know, to, we just come through the NBA Finals, and, you know, LeBron James was surrounded by nobody, essentially, and carried his team. I mean, probably no one's carried less further than he did this year with the Cavaliers. To what extent... Can a guy do that in soccer? It, we know it's not as much as LeBron, but but it feels like it may be more than it might be in say you know professional football. So Ronaldo's not surrounded. Yeah, how, does, by, how does
1: it compare to a quarterback?
0: He's got more around him. We understand, but how 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 far can a guy like Ronaldo take his team when he's when he's not surrounded by people like the Brazilian players, the German players? Well,
1: he's a game changer, and, and I think when you're sitting in a locker room and you know he's on your team and you look across the locker room and you see Cristiano Ronaldo on your team, you know he's a guy that at any moment can, can produce goals that can change the course and change the storyline of a game. Um, you know, This is why you've got certain teams in this tournament that from a collective standpoint can take you so far. Those teams, the um, the likelihood of them winning World Cups it's not there. Can they win games in a World Cup? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But but a team that's going to win this World Cup is going to be one that has game changers like Ronaldo on it. So, mm-hmm. um, look, there's 22 players on the soccer field. Uh, they can be very influential. Uh, what What's interesting about Ronaldo is is you may not see him for 35 minutes, and then you know at the end of the game you're like, oh, yeah, that's right, he had two goals. <laughs> right. um, you know, he's obviously danger off uh, set balls uh you know dead balls and set set plays free kicks and things like that i don't think you have anybody else in the world you want standing over a penalty kicker or, or a free kick outside the 18 so um you know the influence is different in different ways but i think teams grow a few inches when they have uh, a caliber world star like that on your team i don't think there's any question
0: yep Yep. Can you tell us, Glenn, what you've, what's caught your eye over the first round? We're, we're, we're still in um, pool play, of course. Everybody's played one game this morning, starting the second games. We've seen a few upsets, but y- you watch the game in, in, with more expertise than the rest of us, and you've been calling some of these games. What's jumped out the most to you?
1: What's jumped out so far in this tournament? Well, I th- a number of things. I think, you know, we, we do see some parity. We've seen teams like Argentina We've seen Germany get beaten by Mexico dramatically. I mean, an unbelievable result for Mexico. That just, you know, as their entire country is is on another level right now right. of joy. Right. Um, you know, uh, Argentina obviously struggled with Iceland. Uh, you, you, you had Brazil end up in a one-one draw with Switzerland. So, I, I think you've seen uh, in the early stages here the fact that there is parity and. You know, it's it's interesting to look at all of this because some of these guys are coming in playing, having played so many games in their domestic leagues and for their club. Uh, people come in carrying injuries. Mm-hmm. Um, there's all kinds of dynamics that come into this. And, uh, you know, I think you see that. But it still has to evolve. It's It's still, you know, this morning we're getting into game number two for uh, group A, so it, it still has to evolve and, and teams will morph into differing things throughout this tournament uh, which is part of the intrigue to me. So you mentioned the kind of parity aspect. Before you uh, before we started talking to you this morning, we were talking about kind of, you know, the the fact that although you can get these sort of surprising upsets, these upsets are kind of a, on a game-by-game level, you know, nobody really predicts, and certainly in past we haven't seen a surprise team make it all the way so do you sort of think that this increase i mean you spoke about this parody do you sort of see there being greater parody now than there used to be in world cup soccer and do you think we are you know on the verge or is it still ways off where some team can actually you know a, a, a team outside say the top eight in the world can actually make it all the way through Yeah, I still think this is a tournament that's going to ultimately be won by one of the great soccer-playing nations. Now, that said, parity occurs because you've got players from countries all over the world now competing uh, in top leagues. So, you know, you have a couple of guys that are are playing in in Europe, and then you surround them with great collective workers and and responsible, accountable players. You can compete, and and I think we see that. And that's that's a trend that continues, I think uh, in the future because of how globalized the sport of soccer is from the standpoint of players from, from different countries now um, getting experiences in, in different places around the world. So that to me is one of the bigger things. Um, I think we also have to remember too guys that this is a tournament. This is a, this is a four to five week tournament. Okay. So it's, it's, it, it's about a lot of things. It's about how quickly a group of players can come together. It's about uh, getting good fortune over the course of, a, of, of this tournament. Because right. everybody's going to have one game where you're off. Even the team that wins it will have, have had an off game in this. Um, so there's there's a lot of dynamics, injuries. Um, you know, you'll see some teams – begin to accelerate the quality of their play you know where is germany now after tactically looking a mess against mexico right and getting pulled apart by a very mobile and uh, a mexican team that 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 had tremendous movement um you know how do you reclaim it you know you know you got people now saying oh you know germany this is going to wake them up and and they're going to be beasts and and it very well could happen on the other hand Tactically, they were very naive, which was stunning to me from the Germans. And how do they repair that? And how do they correct that very, very quickly here in a short amount of time?
0: Right. We're talking with Glenn Davis. Glenn is a play-by-play announcer for Fox Sports coverage of the 2018 World Cup. He's also a perform a former professional soccer player, and he's um, a play-by-play regular, play-by-play guy for the Houston Dynamo down in Houston. Glenn is uh, calling games right now. He's been calling games so far this tournament, and we're delighted to get his perspective. Glenn, can you tell us a little bit about, we're going to want to hear a little bit from Glenn about analytics, um, because, you know, remember we've had multiple conversations with Chris Alexopoulos, who's a producer at ESPN, and Chris talks about it doesn't matter how how much you've done on analytics if the announcers won't actually use the analytics. And so... Glenn and other announcers play a critical role in the extent of it, the exposure that analytics gets, and they're right there at the interface for the evolution of analytics in soccer. So going to be interested to hear what Glenn thinks about the role of analytics. Glenn, you know, this analytics show, we've we talk, we've watched analytics grow in number of sports, and we know that there are new tools, but there are growing tools available in soccer. What's your sense of... Um, the importance of analytics in soccer, and then what role do you play, and what do you see in terms of analytics in soccer broadcasting?
1: Yeah, I, I think that's a great question, and I, and I think, look, everybody's always trying to get an edge, so analytics is a way of examining and looking at games, and, and every single coach in the world has all kinds of, of, of tools at their disposal um, when it comes to analytics and, and looking at trends and, and where teams build their game up uh, who they play through, what areas of the field they look to get into—that's all out there. Um, I, I think it's incredibly important now in the modern game. On the other hand, I think it can be taken too far, and you have to be careful because analytics don't always quantify things. Right? Um, as, as, you know, we have in the world of soccer now journalists looking at statistics and writing entire articles, and that's that's not authentic. Um, it's not authentic because at the end of the day, for me still, there's nothing better than the human eye. And and I, and I know you guys got an analytics show, so I'm not shooting down analytics. I just think they have to be used in a way that goes along with, with the eye of a manager and the eye of a coaching staff. So this, um, this is, this is, is Adi, I want to ask you an interesting question because yeah. we've run into this in, in, in other sports where the analytics yeah. say one thing and then the coaches say the other and where the, for example, in, in baseball, the ability of a, of a fielder has traditionally been evaluated by the coaches by the eye test. And what we've seen over the years is, the, is data saying, no, that's not correct. The classic example was say, Derek Jeter at, at shortstop was terrible from the analytics perspective. Is that happening in soccer? Is there any kind of uh, analytics question where people are saying, no, this is different than what you're seeing and you're not doing it Right. Well, there's things like this. I would say. I think a big one is you know you see during games the possession statistic is put up. Mm-hmm. So it's a generalization of, of who's got the ball. Obviously, now if you look at it and just say, well, if it's a team that's winning one nothing one at one nil and they've got better possession and it's the second half and they're trying to manage the game out, then then that's really relevant. Um, if the game's nil nil and it's 60-40 possession, uh, my first question is, Is okay, where is that possession? Um, what type of possession is it? Is it possession that is leading to, to chances actually being created, or is its it, is it uh, three or four defenders stroking a ball laterally across the back in their own half of the field? Right,
0: right, so right. Then right. you have
1: to try and take it further as to, you know, where is this possession occurring? And I think, it, you know, for commentators like me, if a possession stat comes up, Um, you know, we then have to put it in the context of where the game is time relative to the score and all these other things that are going on. Um,
0: Well, Glenn, let let me let, yeah. yeah, exactly. I want to hit your, hear your perspective because what we've seen in other sports is that the, the most productive organizations have a dialogue between the analysts and the traditional experts or the traditional scouts. And, Mm-hmm. They, ha- they build a culture in an organization. You know, Houston Astros are famous for this. In fact, there's about to be a book that comes out about exactly this. So they have strong analytics, but they build an organization where the traditional guys are actually listening to the analyst. And, and this is critical, the analysts are listening to the traditional guys. As you say, the models can't capture everything. That's the nature of a model. What's critical is that they capture the important stuff. And that they improve over time. And so one of the most important things that an analyst can do is to ask a traditional person, an expert, a scout, a person who uses their eyes, what are we missing? How do we need to improve the models? So it sounds a little bit like you come from that perspective and you played the game and you've been watching the game for decades. You've watched the analytics rise what do you think they're missing right now? Like how can they, what frontier do they need to be pushing in order to be more valuable to coaches, to players, to announcers, to fans?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, that's one that might take some, some longer thought. Um, You know, look, everybody's using these tools. I I see there's a tendency, certain organizations then rely on it I think too much Um, and every question or, or, or every question is answered with, you know, uh, a fallback position of going to the analytics. And, and sometimes I want to see it come. I want to see it come from the person without the analytics. I want. I want to know what it is soccer wise that they see, without having to whip off five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten statistics to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's there's another funny one in soccer that's called big chances. You know, I don't really know what the definition of a big chance is. I know what the definition of a threatening moment in a game is. I I, I can look at 90 minutes today, Portugal against Morocco, and I can tell you at the end of the day, who's the two most dangerous players on the field from an attacking perspective. Um, Then we have to break it down into, you know, was that stuff that ultimately led to goal-scoring chances Mm -hmm. and actual real chances. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, again, to me, you know, soccer I, I, is, is maybe a little less analytic friendly at times than than maybe baseball is, um, but I do think there's a place for it. And I, I but I think again, it, it has to be used responsibly. I, it can't be a fallback position. It can't then be the only place you go, and you don't begin to trust uh, the eye test.
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Are are there? Is there anything that you've what do you, is there anything you think you've learned from analytics since it has emerged or some insight that you think has been helpful? And it Just as a well, compliment. I think, it, I to think
1: the, it helps you look at the game differently. I'll tell you a couple things. So this is interesting. So I actually was a professional soccer player. I then get into being, um, you know, an, I start as an analyst. I then switch my rule to play-by-play, which are, you know, two different roles, but you're still looking at trends in games. You're still breaking games down. And I remember as a youth coach, you know, it forced me working with kids to bring out coaching points and simplifying things. Uh analytics now, when I call a game, become very, very important because you can see the areas of the field um you know, with these heat charts where, where teams are you know, you know, playing the ball. Are they coming up the right side of the field? And then you can say, why is that? Well, mm-hmm. they've targeted the left back of an opponent. Right. So, so I think it is very helpful. Um, you know, you can look at players and track them and say, okay, uh, the creative player for, for, you know, or Ronaldo, let's say. We can track his touches in the penalty area because this is where he now, that's his indigenous environment. Okay. And we can see how many touches he's had in a penalty area. And if he's only had two, then you're saying, well, he's probably not going to score a lot of goals. And on the other hand, it's Ronaldo, and he only needs one chance. Right. So, you know, there, 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 there's interesting things, I think. The dynamics of of analytics and in its involvement, I think, is absolutely a tool.
0: Mm-hmm. We're talking to Glenn Davis. We're down to just the last couple of minutes. Glenn, what, what game do you call next? What's next on your agenda?
1: So next up for me is, is Serbia and Switzerland, and, and, you know, these are – Two very, very interesting teams. Serbia is kind of hit or miss. I mean, when we go down to the facts of influences of managers, and and I think this is what analytics doesn't capture. It's 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 leadership. It's inspirational leadership. I don't know how you capture that in analytics. Um, managers are guys that are, are so vital and important from a leadership perspective in this tournament and bringing people together. And I think it's interesting because Serbia and Switzerland are two teams that, that do need to collect if Serbia is a little bit more hit or miss. And the real question uh, for their manager, Chris Dijic is, has he brought this team together? Mm-hmm. Uh, looks like it after one game, but it's a team that's oftentimes been volatile with big personalities. And, and the question is, is can he keep a steady hand with some players that tend to move a bit emotionally? Switzerland, on the other hand, it's just an interesting nation. It's just continued to grow. It's actually playing the game a little bit differently now. They get a 1-1 draw with Brazil. But, again, there, there is a collective spirit there, like with Iceland and Sweden, that has to occur for them uh, in order that in order for them to go deep in this tournament. So, um, you know, analytics capture a lot of great things. Don't necessarily capture the influence uh, of, of managers – and how important they can be to guiding a team and, and, and those interpersonal relationships between, you know, coach and players and being able to lift people when you need to over the course of a short tournament and also being uh, able to, to push people.
0: Got it. You know, that's a new frontier for us, coaching analytics, and one we're going to be watching over the next couple of years. Glenn, we really appreciate your taking the time out of your schedule to join us and enjoy the conversation.
1: Guys, thanks very much. Continued success with the show and appreciate it. And uh, keep watching the World Cup on Fox.
0: You bet. You can also listen to SiriusXM Fox Sports Channel 83. That's Glenn Davis, play by play announcer for Fox Sports coverage of the World Cup. That's the first half of our show. Come back and join us after the break. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.